Morning. If you got a Bible, turn up, turn over to Mark chapter six. Mark chapter six. And as you're turning there, a big thanks again to our veterans and active duty. Uh, we appreciate your service to our country, and we honor you today. Uh, I also want to make mention of the fact that uh, one of our own members is. Uh, uh, probably right now on her last five miles of a marathon. Uh, Estella Harnett is not here today because she's running in the Malibu International Marathon. So say a prayer in your heart for Estella right now. I think she's probably a few miles away. Uh, So we wanted to recognize that great achievement. I hope she finishes strong. Let's, uh, Let's stand together, actually, and let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you, God, for this day. Thank you for an opportunity to gather together freely and openly. And uh, we credit so much, uh, not only the protection we receive from you and the freedoms from you, God, but also from those who have served. And so, God, thank you for those who have served our country and helped us maintain the great heritage of this nation. God, I pray that you would now open up our eyes to uh, what you have for us in your word. Help us, Lord. No doubt there's been distractions in the past week. Maybe we've come here this morning busy and hurried, uh, our eyes distracted. But Lord, help us now to center on you, to center on your Son and on the Spirit and on your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I didn't look up in the past 30 seconds, but I didn't really have to, because I already know what most of you were thinking. For the first 10 seconds, you probably thought nothing of it. By the next 10 seconds, you started to look up and wonder, what's he doing? And then came the last 10 seconds, which for some of you felt like an eternity. When you started to look up and think, this is awkward. What is he doing? What's going on? Why this silence? Isn't it amazing how just 30 seconds of silence can drive us crazy? The title of my message today is Silence and Solitude. Silence and and solitude. You know, we live in an extremely loud world, friends. And the truth is, we're quite addicted to it. We're addicted to noise. We go home, and what happens? The TV goes on. And uh, maybe we play some music right when we get in the door. When we're in the car, we turn on the radio, play, play our favorite band, or listen to the news. When we hear a ding 
It's probably your cell phone notifying you that you've got a text message. Somebody sent you a message. Somebody wants you. Better check it. Check it right now. Don't wait. And let me just say that some of your cell phone notifications are awful. Um, my wife's in particular has the worst cell phone notification of all time. She will freely admit that. I will be sitting there. You don't admit that? You think it's cute? I'll be sitting there peacefully on the couch and I'll hear da 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 ding! And it will just like make me jump every time, honey. It's. We'll have a talk later, honey, about changing that. We live in a loud world. Lots of noise, lots of information, notifications, lots of demands, lots of cars, lots of people, lots of kids. Oh, my daughter Mallory is loud. Loud. But I love her. We're so accustomed to noise that when it's silent, even for 30 seconds, we start to think, this is awkward. But you know, silence is not something to be avoided. In fact, it's just the opposite. The Bible has a lot to say about silence. A lot to say about solitude, about being quiet and alone with God. David in Psalm 46 said, Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Were we to scour Scripture, we would find instances in which the great heroes of the Bible went off by themselves to be silent before God. The patriarchs of old, men like Abraham, Moses, Elijah, and so many of the prophets, they each had their times, we could point to many Scriptures, where they got away from the hustle and bustle and just got in God's presence. The Apostle Paul, if you were to read Galatians 1, he mentions that he spent three years in the deserts of Arabia just being in the presence of the risen Christ. But fewer examples of silence and solitude are better than that of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus put an incredibly high premium on getting away, on being alone with God. I've listed on your outline some of those examples. We're not going to pour into each one, but multiple times you find Jesus retreating, getting away, going up the mountain, or getting aside to a private place. You see that after His baptism, when He went out 40 days in the desert. You see it after long days of healing, multiple times in the Gospels, where Jesus got away after being around multitudes of people and healing them. You see Jesus retreating before choosing the twelve disciples. You see Him also getting silence and solitude upon hearing of John the Baptist's death. After a long missions effort by the disciples, Jesus told them, come away and rest. And upon feeding the 5,000, after they had fed them, they also retreated as a group, Jesus by himself. And the most notable is when Jesus was in the garden, alone, praying, before his death. We could speak of more. If the Son of God, the question of the hour, if the Son of God needed moments alone, to be quiet before God, how much more so do you think you might need it? 
I want to speak today of, of seven blessings, seven blessings of the spiritual discipline of silence and solitude. On your outline, seven blessings. We'll go through these uh, rather rapidly. The first blessing is this. The first blessing of practicing the discipline of silence and solitude is, number one, to receive physical rest. To receive physical rest. This might seem like a no-brainer, but some of us fail to pay attention to it. In Mark chapter 6, Jesus had given his disciples, the power to heal and cast out demons. And they had gone over all the land of Galilee, healing and performing miracles, pouring themselves out in service to God. And when their trip was over, look what Jesus said. Mark 6, verse 30 to 32. Then the apostles gathered to Jesus, and they told him all these things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And Jesus said to them, Come aside by yourselves, to a deserted place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going and they did not even have time to eat. So they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. Again, it it might seem self-evident, but I want to emphasize this point. If nothing more, The discipline, the spiritual discipline of silence and solitude, if nothing more, is simply to give you rest. Rest. We need rest. It's amazing how little our culture puts a premium on rest. Uh, You'll hear doctors often speak of, you know, sleeping eight hours a day is, is best for your health. I've even heard nine hours a day. I know a man who tries to sleep nine to nine and a half a night because he, he finds that he's just so much more ready for each day when he gets a great night of rest. We underestimate how important rest is to our physical bodies. We are housed in a body of flesh and blood. We need rest. And one of the ways you can discipline yourself to rest is by setting aside time for moments of silence and solitude. When the hustle and bustle of the day is over, or even before it begins, to set aside time to rest and to prepare. A second reason to practice the discipline of silence and solitude on your outline. To become spiritually refreshed or restored to God. To become spiritually refreshed or restored to God to God if you've lost your way. Isaiah 30, verse 15, the prophet writes, For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and in rest you shall be saved, that is, delivered, built up. In quietness and confidence shall be your strength. These were words that God was trying to communicate to Israel, but if you were to go on and read the passage, she was doing just the opposite the people of Israel were. They weren't practicing returning and resting in the Lord. They weren't practicing a state of quiet confidence in God. Instead, they were being greatly distracted. But to become spiritually refreshed again, or to be restored if you've somewhat lost your way, that is something that silence and solitude will bestow upon you. It won't come automatic. It won't come right away. But deliberate times of practicing this discipline will bring times of refreshment to you. A third reason 
to practice the discipline of silence and solitude. Number three, to be heard by God. To be heard by God and find solidarity with Him. To be heard by God and to find solidarity with Him. That is, companionship, camaraderie, a sense of seeing eye to eye. You know, it's, it's so often the case that, uh, that we, need, we need God to hear us. We need Him to know what's on our mind. We, we struggle in life. We go through various emotions. We deal with different things at work and at home. And there are moments where we just need quietness and to pour out our heart to God. Maybe we're not speaking. Maybe it's just in our heart. But we need a time to just let God hear all of it. To let Him hear our emotions whether we're upset or joyful, whether we're sorrowful or happy, whether we're frustrated or angry or anything in between, to just let Him know what's on our heart, what is on our mind, to speak to Him, pouring out our hearts, our emotions, our requests. Psalm 34, verse 4, I sought the Lord and He heard me. He delivered me from all my fears. To be heard by God is a blessing of practicing silence and solitude. There's nothing worse than to have conversation with a spouse or a friend and to, to, to recognize that in the scope of that conversation, they're not hearing you. They're not understanding you. They're not recognizing what you're trying to communicate. There's nothing worse than the sense that they're not listening and they, they don't have a full comprehension of what you're trying to communicate. But in silence and solitude, we have God's undivided attention because we have our own undivided attention. We have nothing around us but just us and Him. And it's easy to have the sense of being heard by God in those moments. But now, practicing silence and solitude is not merely a time to talk to the Lord It's also, and more so, a time to let Him speak into us. And so as we speak to Almighty God, we also need to listen to Him. And chances are, when we listen to Him, we'll be rightly reminded of our place before Him. As we listen to God, as we hear from Him in those moments of silence, chances are, we will come to recognize our own humanness and frailty before Him. And that brings me to point four. A benefit of silence and solitude is that it reaffirms our frailty, our frailty before God, and it reminds us to humbly confess and repent of our sin. It's an opportunity to reaffirm our frailty before God and to humbly confess and repent of our sin. I love this... uh, Word of wisdom from the Proverbs. Proverbs 30, verse 32 in your outline. If you have been foolish in exalting yourself, or if you've devised evil, put your hand on your mouth. And again in Job chapter 40. Then Job answered the Lord and he said, Behold, I'm vile. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand over my mouth. Once I've spoken, but I will not answer. Yes, twice but I will proceed no further. The mention there in the Old Testament 
of a man who covers his mouth, a woman who covers her mouth, is an indication in the Old Testament Scriptures that they had nothing left to say to God. They had nothing left to justify themselves. They had nothing left to defend themselves, to defend their their honor or to defend their words or their actions. Instead, as they came before God, they recognized their frailty, they recognized their sinfulness, and they physically covered their mouth as a sign of respect and honor. Covered our mouth in demonstration of our frailty, of our sinfulness before God, and a recognition of His holiness. That's something that takes place as you practice silence and solitude. You should be overcome with a sense of God's greatness and a sense of your insignificance before Him. But beyond that, God doesn't want us to just wallow in insignificance and frailty. Not at all. For those of us who have trusted in Jesus as our Savior, for those who have their sins forgiven, we are now a new person in Christ. And God no longer counts our sins against us. So He wants us to throw off those sins. Not just wallow in them and grieve in them, but to throw off the sin that so easily entangles us. And look at Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Were it not, were it not so that our sins were forgiven, our silence and solitude would be a terrifying moment. But our sins have been forgiven by faith in Jesus Christ. And as Dallas Willard rightly says, we can only survive solitude if we cling to Christ there. We can only survive silence and solitude if we're looking upon Jesus Christ. And so as we recognize our frailty and our sin, we don't stay there. We look up. We rejoice that our sins have been forgiven by Jesus, by His sacrifice, by our faith in Him. We've been washed and we have hope. And as we receive that hope, as we receive that confirmation that we're not just frail and insignificant and meaningless in this world, but we have worth before God and that Christ lives in me, we start to rise up and anticipate more of what God's going to give to us. And that brings me to point five. We are in fact given, in moments of silence and solitude, we're given gentle instruction by the Spirit. Gentle instruction by the Spirit. Turn over a book earlier into Matthew chapter 11. Verse 28, it's a passage we know probably too well. But let's read it again, as if for the first time. Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. There's that physical rest. But beyond that, he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Learn from me. For I'm gentle, I'm lowly in heart, You'll find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Those uh, in first century context knew precisely what Jesus was speaking of. Uh, they knew as a, as a, in an agrarian culture and as farmers, they knew what it meant to plow the field. You had an ox who knew quite well what to do. 
And he, this, the, the, the older and the wiser and the mature ox was the one who instinctively knew how to plow the field. He had done it many times. His, his owner, the farmer, had shown the ox many times how to prepare the field, how to get it ready uh, for the planting season. But beyond just the older and wiser mature ox, the farmer would also want to bring along a young ox who would be trained in the way he should go. And so they would yoke the two, the mature one and the young one, together in a yoke. And they would plow the field, as they still do today in so many parts uh, of the world, particularly in less industrialized nations. You still see oxen out there plowing the fields. And the mature ox would guide the young ox. The young ox's yoke would be easy. His burden would be light in that he would be taught and shown and walked with all the way down the field. So also, Jesus is saying, take my yoke upon you. I will be that older, wiser, mature one who walks alongside you and shows you precisely where to go. A gentle learning, a humble learning, a quiet learning in silence, in solitude. Not by way of teaching, not by way of oral communication. You know, learning does not merely come through passionate and persuasive preaching and teaching. It also comes by way of just sitting quietly before God. Sometimes I've learned more spending 20 minutes in silence than spending 40 minutes listening to a sermon. There are popular preachers out there, though, some even evangelical, who've gained popularity by raising their voices, even yelling in their delivery. But the noisy and the loud environment is usually not a healthy one in which to learn. Jesus speaks of learning when it's quiet, when words are few, when the Spirit has room to work. Richard Foster in his book on the the spiritual disciplines, writes, the purpose of silence and solitude is to be able to see and to hear God. A sixth example of the benefit or the blessing of practicing silence and solitude is to express worship to God. To express worship to God and deepen our dependence upon Him. To express worship to God and deepen our dependence upon Him. Psalm 62, Truly my soul silently waits for God. From Him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. He reiterates it in verse 5. My soul, it waits silently for God alone. My expectation is from Him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He's my defense. I shall not be moved. It is a time upon receiving that instruction to then give back praise, to give back an expression of your worship, of your love, admiration, and need for God. Quietly, silently, waiting upon Him. Seven, and finally, and there could be others for sure, but I've listed seven only here, is to cultivate greater self-control. One of my favorites to cultivate greater self-control. One of my favorite passages, James 1.19, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Self-control of the tongue, self-control of the mind, self-control of our body. 
What better way to bring our person into control than by quiet, quieting our soul, quieting our tongue, ceasing from action, letting our mind empty of the things of this world and be filled with the things of God. Bill Gaultier writes of silence and solitude and particularly of of its relationship to self-control. He says how easily we criticize or slander others. How quickly we use our words to give others an ideal impression of ourselves. The discipline of silence teaches us loving restraint. We learn to see not only ourselves, but also others as under God's grace. I love that phrase, Loving restraint. The discipline of silence teaches us loving restraint. When you, when you speak for a living, you can get yourself into trouble. And uh, I'm sure many of us, we, we, we speak often, sometimes too often. And we need to practice moments of silence daily that we might be reminded of how quickly our tongue can lead us down a bad path. I've heard it said that silence in the morning helps us speak better during the day. Silence in the morning helps us speak better during the day. When we have moments of silence, it slows us. It quiets us. We're to speak the truth in love, Ephesians 4. We're to speak the truth in love. We're called to speak the truth in love. But one of the best ways we can do that is by first practicing the discipline of silence. In my own life, uh, I find myself increasingly interested and already uh, practicing, particularly the last couple years, the, the discipline of silence. Of all the spiritual benefits of this discipline, I especially resonate with the first and the second uh, benefit and the, and the seventh. But to find rest, physical rest, I experience that often when I practice silence. To be refreshed spiritually, just to have my cup replenished. And then to have that sense of self-control, I can, I can really see in my, my own life how those blessings get poured out on me when I'm diligent enough to practice this. Every day is a day to serve. And we pour out our cup unto others. We serve at work. We serve at home. We serve at church. We serve our spouse. We serve friends. We serve our kids. But you know what? It is exceedingly difficult to pour into others when your cup is empty. Isn't it? It is exceedingly difficult to to pour into others when your cup is dry. As a pastor, I get the privilege of sharing in, in your joys and sorrows, many of you. I get to share in the joys, and those are fun, and those are easy. But I also get to share in the hardships, when I sit across from a family hurting financially or relationally or spiritually, um, pastors, like psychologists, are instructed in their training to just disengage from those moments of, of, of difficulty when they're over. Just disengage after you uh, sit across the table from a family who's hurting or from a husband or a wife who's hurting or a young person who's lost their way. Just, just spend, spend that hour, and then when it's over with, let it go and go on home and enjoy the rest of your day. 
That's what we're taught, trained to do. Certainly psychologists would, would emphasize that, that disengagement that they all have to attempt um, to enter into. I'm here to say that that's not very easy uh, for me, and I doubt it's very easy for you, for those of you who have been in those moments. When folks are hurting, it quite dramatically affects my day, actually. Sometimes it can ruin my day. And I don't mean that in the sense of um, that uh, I, 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 I don't mean that in the sense that I regret having met with them, or that I uh, am frustrated that I met with them, but rather that I go on to continue in a state of empathy, and it, it, it harms my day in that it harms my ability to minister to others, or to my wife when I get home, or to my kids. It's easy to become dry, to just listen and encourage, and counsel, and give, and pour out, and pour out, and all of us do it. And yet, to have no thought of spiritual replenishment? When, when a mom just gives and gives and gives and gives all day to her kids, and to not even have a thought of spiritually replenishing? When a dad goes to work and he just pours out and pours out and pours out all day long, trying to help the company, trying to please the boss and he's empty, shouldn't he consider receiving a time of replenishment? Thankfully, I'm learning good lessons early in my life on this matter. The last few years, I'm learning to structure my day to ensure times of pouring out are also balanced by, tw- by times when God pours into me. Just a few weeks ago, I had back-to-back appointments, one at the church and one a short drive away. Both appointments I knew would be very spiritually and emotionally draining and depleting. These were sensitive matters. They required a lot of care and a lot of tact to handle. And so I purposefully, in the middle of these two appointments, I purposely, purposely set aside an extra buffer of time. Whereas it would have normally only taken me 20 minutes to drive from point A to point B, I set aside 40 minutes, knowing what I had in these two appointments. And in my drive to, after the first appointment was over, as I drove to the second appointment, I got there, as I expected, 20 minutes early. And I did so purposefully. I parked farther down the street. I turned off the car. I turned off the radio. I turned off my cell phone. And I just sat silently before God. I prayed a little, but mainly... I just sat quietly, often closing my eyes, seeking physical and spiritual rest from God. And that's exactly what He gave me. I knew I needed it. I scheduled for it. And I... And God made it happen. He poured into me exactly what I knew I would need at a time like that. And as I walked in to the next appointment, I was filled. Having been drained earlier, I was filled with the Spirit and ready to pour back into the ones who needed me most. The next hour was fruitful. It was edifying. 
Had I not scheduled that buffer, I would have simply gone from one spiritual and emotional draining moment to another. I would have put on my pastor hat, walked in the door, and pretended like I could fix everything when I know I couldn't. I would have had very little to offer had I not set aside a significant portion of time to just spend with God. In Richard Foster's Celebration of Discipline, note note this quote in the middle of the center of your outline. The fruit of solitude is increased sensitivity and compassion for others. There comes a new freedom to be with people. There's a new attentiveness to their needs, new responsiveness to their hurts. We all give. We all serve. We all pour out our lives. And we need replenishment. If we don't recognize that need, we will go from one moment to the next just putting on a hat and pretending that all is well. I know some of you may be sitting there thinking, well, that's nice that you had a 40-minute buffer because I don't in my life. Neil, I, I, I have zero time in my life. I go from this to that to this to that. I, I, I'm taking kids here and there and everywhere. I've got so many jobs at work. I've got so many things at school. I've got so many uh, assignments and appointments and meetings. My days are packed. I can't, I can't. I can't set aside 40 minutes. Are you kidding? I'm not a pastor. I don't have it that easy. How can I find time? to practice silence and solitude. How can I find time to practice silence and solitude? A a few tips. Not all these will work, but some will. Number one, rise up early in the morning. Get up early. Fifteen minutes early is all you need. And spend fifteen minutes of silence and solitude. Go outside. Go in the closet. Go downstairs. And just sit before the Lord. Are you at work? I have an idea. What about on your coffee break? What about on your lunch break? Rather than using those times as social hour, go take a walk. Just with you and the Lord. Go speak to the Lord. Listen to Him. Fifteen minutes of a coffee break could do you great good in silence and solitude. Are you at home? Maybe watching the kids. It's just crazy all day. That's fine. How about in unique and opportune moments? First thing in the morning, when you take a shower. I'm often speaking to the Lord when I'm taking a shower. Just those five minutes, those ten minutes, or in my sister's case, those 25 minutes. Um, whatever it is, however long it takes, with the Lord. Just speaking to Him or sitting silently before Him. Or moms, you know, send the kids to their rooms. Lock your door and just take 10 minutes during the day. I know how hard that can be. But it can happen. It can happen. You know? Tell, tell the children that you need a, a moment alone and find that quiet place just for a short while. Are you driving? Are you on the road? Would you turn off the radio and when you're stopped at a red light, take a one-minute retreat with God? When you're in traffic, move to the slow lane. Drive slower. Don't get all up in arms. You're in traffic. You're going nowhere anyway. Schedule it on your calendar as you would any other appointment. I, I, I write this and I mean this. 
because I'm starting to, to do this myself. Schedule it. My wife and I live and die by our calendar. And when something's not on the calendar, and uh, usually it's me who forgot to put it there, I have to sheepishly come up and say, sorry, I have something tonight. And she's like, but it wasn't on the calendar. I'm sorry, I, I didn't mean to. But, you know, schedule it. 3.30 today, I'm going to take 15 minutes of silence. What might that look like? Even better than these shorter durations, is it possible to spend an entire morning, an entire afternoon, half a day, all day, in silence and solitude before God? I know others who, once or twice a year, they go out overnight or even a weekend and spend time in spiritual replenishment. You might say, that's crazy. I'm so busy. I have family. I have kids. I have a spouse. I can't do that. I know. I know what it's like to have that sense of busyness. But you know, in the case of those of you who are married, husbands, if you know what's good for your wife, you know that she needs times of replenishment. And so for you on a Saturday morning to say, you know, I'm going to take the kids all morning. I want you to go to the beach, just be with God. Just get a, a moment alone. What that would do for your wife. Wives to husbands. Uh, you know, men uh, are often the ones outside the home working. And uh, I can attest to this. You know, you, you work, 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 and then you come home and you're immediately expected to just engage in the life of the family and, and quickly become the helper and the, and the father and the husband that you're supposed to be. That's hard for a lot of men. What if, wives, you could say, you know, tonight after work, I want you to get away for two or three hours and just be with the Lord. Don't go to the ball game. Don't turn on the radio. Don't go bowling. Just go be with the Lord. What would that look like? My suggestion is start small. Make it a trade-off. Re recognize the importance of this spiritual discipline in your family's life. What do I bring? Bring your Bible, not your iPad Bible, and not your cell phone app Bible. And the reason is quite clear. Because when you hear, dun, 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 you will want to check that text, won't you? In fact, turn off your cell phone, leave it in the car, and go take a walk on the beach. Leave it in the car. Don't bring it with you. Carry a Bible. Maybe a journal and a pen if you like to journal. I don't. Some of you do. If that's helpful, great. But nothing else. No phone. No money. You're not going to go out and, and, and buy something. Just be with the Lord. Be quiet. Listen. Be alone. Create time and space for God to talk with you. And one more thing on the bottom of the middle of the outline there. Drop all great expectations. Drop them. Drop all great expectations. Have none. I mean this very specifically. I have gone into moments of silence and solitude from God, with God, seeking fantastic things, seeking a spiritual high and, and, and expecting great and tremendous moments of intimacy with Him. And I, sometimes I've gotten none of that. None of that. The Scriptures speak to that effect. In Lamentations chapter 3, God even tells, through the prophet, to the people of the Jews 
who were dealing with exile and Jerusalem was, was ransacked. Their temple had been burned and the people were weeping and wailing. And God said, anticipate dryness. Anticipate dryness as you wait for me. Lamentations 3, beginning in verse 25. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. But notice this. It is also good for a man to bear the yoke of his youth. That is, the burden of his youth. Let him sit alone at times. Let him keep silent because God has laid it on him. God has allowed that, that moment, that yoke, that burden to remain on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes him and be full of reproach, for the Lord will not cast off forever. Though he causes grief, he will yet show compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. Lamentations is beautiful in that it shows so many times these moments of dryness, of drought, and God says it's okay to have your cheek in the dust. Talk about an example of dryness. To put your cheek in the dirt. He says it's okay to go through those moments. Sometimes I will allow you, God says, to go through those moments. Yet still, my compassion, my mercy, it's coming. Wait for it. It may not come right away, but wait for it. David uh, Brainerd, an 18th century American missionary, in his moments of silence and solitude, he would say, I knew not what to say to my God, but only to lean on his bosom. I knew not what to say during those moments of silence. I knew not what to say to my God, but only to lean on his bosom. That speaks of Romans 8. Likewise, the Spirit helps in our weakness. We don't know what we should pray for, but the Spirit... He makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. That is to say, even when you don't know what to say, when you sit there for an hour, for two hours, you say, what am I doing? Even when you don't know what to say to God, know that the Holy Spirit is interceding for you. He's speaking for you to God, knowing the will of God for you. I want to close with a fantastic selection from A.W. Tozer, uh, a very much beloved American preacher, teacher, theologian of days old. Tozer, of, of the discipline of silence and solitude, writes this, Retire from the world each day to some private spot, even if it be only the bedroom. For a while I retreated to the furnace room for want of a better place. Stay in the secret place till the surrounding noises begin to fade out of your heart and a sense of God's presence envelops you. Listen for the inward voice till you learn to recognize it. Give yourself to God. And then be what and who you are without regard to what others think. Never let your mind remain scattered for very long. Call home your roving thoughts. Gaze on Christ with the eyes of your soul. Practice spiritual concentration. All the above is contingent 
upon a right relation to God through Christ in daily meditation on the Scriptures. Lacking these, and nothing will help us. But granted these, and the discipline recommended will go far to neutralize the evil effects of externalism and to make us acquainted with God and our own souls. Tozer knew what it was like to just sit before the Lord, to not have expectations, wild and grandiose ideas of what that 30 minutes or 60 minutes or half of, half of a day of silence would look like, but instead just to sit before Him, not knowing if it would be dry or spiritually re-energizing, hoping, no doubt, for physical rest, but recognizing that whatever comes my way, I will be frail before Him, recognizing His greatness before me and looking up to Him for help, for guidance, for replenishment. I want you, like last week, to practice this spiritual discipline. Last week I urged you to practice fasting. And many of you prayed and fasted on Monday. Today and this week, I'd like you to practice the spiritual discipline of silence and solitude. Talk it over with your family, your spouse. Schedule it on your calendar. Be intentional about sitting before the Lord with no agenda, no expectations, just a quieting of your soul before Him. And I want to give you five minutes now to start that. Just five minutes. It won't be an eternity. All I want you to do, as I, I'm going to close in prayer, and as I say amen, we'll stay quiet for five minutes as a congregation. The worship team will come, and you'll know when the time is over, when the music begins. But in those five minutes, as we close out, complete silence and solitude. I suggest you close your eyes and just listen. Just listen. And see if the Lord is going to be gently teaching you by the Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, that sometimes it doesn't take a lot of words, a lot of instruction to learn from you. We're such a, uh, a note-taking culture. We fill in the blanks, we finish our note sheet, and we think we've learned. Uh, but God, we know that we've truly learned when we can appropriate what we've heard into our heart. So now, as we sit quietly before you. I pray that you would speak to us. Whatever it is, you may need to say. And if it's nothing at all, even let us be content with our cheek in the dust, sitting quietly before you. In Jesus' name, amen.